In Ephesians uh, chapter 2 this morning, the title of the message in Ephesians chapter 2 is called His Workmanship. And in verse 1, the Bible says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Can you both, everyone just say those next two words together in verse 4? But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in all the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. It's not of works, least anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, the, the richness of these words, and we ask that they would penetrate our heart and our mind and our will. I ask, Lord, that these scriptures and the ones that we're looking at this morning can, I believe, really change our life. It could strengthen our life. It could renew our perspective about our life and our future. I pray, Lord, that nothing would hinder what your Holy Spirit would want to accomplish. And I pray that through this spiritual feeding time that leads us to communion, just the completeness of our fellowship together would be something, Lord, that you would bless. Complete your purposes now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I wrote this morning that there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing that you can do to make God love you less. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Is that good news? You have to think about it a little bit, I'm sure. It is wonderful news. When we're looking at the scriptures today, the verse 10 of chapter 2 is really what I want to, in a sense, park on. And then we're going to move back and capture what came before verse 10. But in verse 10, as we read, it says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This morning in our service, and I want to thank 
you, John, Limperis, and Aaron. Thank you, Lisa, family there, for being here. Yesterday, we had a memorial service, and it was a tremendous celebration. And on behalf of the family, thank you for many of you that were very helpful in preparing and helping us through. We actually had in our church facility yesterday, I don't know if you're aware, but that was the most people we ever had at one time. It was amazing because the doors had to be open. And besides all the chairs here, there was 100 more chairs that were added. And so I don't know if people were going down the hallway or what, but our, our team of servants did a wonderful job in ministering and setting up. And then what God had for us prepared in terms of the ministry and worship, in terms of Pastor Jim Murphy and the things he had to say, in terms of the presentation of the video and the, and the comments that were made. What it was was a wonderful testimony to a wife, to a mother, to a grandmother, to a friend. Joyce Limperis. You see, last Sunday, Aaron and Lisa and myself, we were just praying regarding Joyce and just as she was fighting and trusting and believing, we were praying for her. And I believe it was, it was that night that the last sentence that she said clearly was, cry not for joy comes in the morning. Did I say that right? Cry not, for joy comes in the morning. That was her parting remarks. It's prophetic. Because she went to be with Jesus around 3 a.m. in the morning. And since that time on Monday, the family has been in just in the midst of receiving from the Lord and, and preparing. She's been a lot that they've been through and For us as a ministry, we want to come alongside because we're his workmen created in Christ Jesus. And the way that that works and the reason that this verse is so rich for us is because most of the world is looking for purpose, looking for direction, looking for a sense of identity. And they have a lot of questions. And we once were, as the scripture said, we once were lost in this world. And as we'll see in a few minutes the great work, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love, he loved us. And by his grace, he saved us. And he saved us so that we can be with him forever, but that we can walk with him and live for him right now. We're not saved by works. We're saved for works so that we can be his workmen. And to be able to see the body of Christ function in the way that I saw, I'm greatly encouraged. And I say say thank you, Jesus, and I say thank you for your prayers, your help, and your support. Many of you have experienced the preparation it takes for a wedding, but for a memorial celebration, instead of having three months, six months, you just have three or four days. In three or four days to capture in a short period of time, the essence and the significance of someone's life. To capture it in a way that God uses it to minister. To capture it in a way that there's substance and strength. And the reality is, is as we move on to be with Jesus, 
To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, to be eternally home with the Lord Jesus Christ. The challenge for me and the challenge I want to share with each of us as we're working and walking through this week and right where we're at in the scripture, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The wonderful thing about Joyce Lemperis's life is she made it easy for every pastor to present a memorial celebration for her because her life was a rock-solid commitment to Christ that was bearing fruit to the very end. And might I encourage each of us this morning that the goal of your life, one of them, Make it easy on your pastor. (laughs) What I'm saying is we're going through these scriptures. If we're living a compromising life. Then there's great challenges when we want to bring a lasting testimony of God's work. Do you follow me? And so when we're going through these these scriptures and this study and and the delight of what it is to to know God and to live for him. Again, looking at that verse 10 as our our key verse and then backing up from there. And as you have your notes before you, you see that point three, all the grace in salvation. And that's what's taking place in chapter two in those first 10 verses. You see, we have to face the reality of our life. If you look back in chapter two of Ephesians and as we look at those first three verses There are verses that we do not necessarily want to look at. Those verses describe darkness. They describe a life apart from Christ. And yet we find ourselves in verse 1, 2, or 3 at some time in our life. And if you have not come to Jesus Christ in salvation, if you've not received salvation, then you are in verses 1, 2, and 3 right now today. And I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. This fellowship is about building up the body of Christ. This fellowship is about reaching the prodigals. This fellowship is about reaching the lost for the kingdom of God. We believe God's word. We believe the power of the spirit of God. We believe God is at work. and He wants to bring people to himself. But if you're looking and establishing and beginning to see God develop a testimony within your life, a testimony that that you can communicate to somebody else, then you must admit, you have to admit, that you once were a slave to sin and a slave to this world. However it may be, that was our resume before Christ. That's as far as it went on the resume. Whether we wanted to admit it or not, that's where we were at. That's where we were living. And there's a struggle that goes on within our lives. Thursdays typically is a day that my wife and I try to set apart so we can get reacquainted after the last six days. A lot is going on in our lives and in your life as well. And, you know, we do well to have maybe four hours or so of some concentrated time together. And some of the things that we like to do many times going down to Bellingham, walking around, and you know how much of a heart we have to see God work and We're very mindful of a lot of situations. But my wife said something to me, and it took me by surprise. I don't believe she's ever said this. Because my perspective 
of myself would be somebody that is somewhat positive and persevering. That's my perspective, and it could be wrong. In this case, it was wrong. (laughs) She said, and she was accurate as we were walking in Bellingham. She says, you seem really negative. And, you know, so I'm going to contend with that for a little bit. (laughs) Just to prove her point, basically, is what happens. But in this world that we're walking in, as we're looking at verses 1, 2, and 3, as we're studying, as we're a part of this, I'm personally overwhelmed, probably more than I have ever been, regarding the darkness of this world regarding the ungodliness of this world. Now, I trafficked in this, so I'm not exempting myself. I came from verses 1, 2, and 3, and so did everybody else that has come to faith. But as we're walking down and as we're seeing people and we're seeing situations, in a sense, it's like, do you even want to know the Lord? What would it take for you to want to follow Jesus? And then... As you look into the media and you see the things that are intensifying. Obviously, you hear the news that the Middle East tension is a nuclear tension that, in a sense, they've put a springtime date, perhaps, of some sort of military action around the topic of nuclear weapons. It's just in the news, right? It's intensifying. When our president talks about the Bible, and he says, in the Bible, it tells us that we should be good stewards, and those who have more should give more, out of Luke's gospel, I wrote, as many of you may have seen, it's interesting, you speak of the Bible, and you speak of Jesus' teaching and making your point, but where was Jesus in the teaching when we want to talk about taking care of the life of the unborn children and taking care of the sacredness of the marriage covenant. Those are in our area. You're using the Bible, proclaiming your faith in Christ, and yet, what's with that? Am I deceived? Is the world deceived? In other words, as I'm walking down the sidewalk and I'm looking at that, I'm seeing things that have gone on regarding Planned Parenthood, a change of idea of those supporting it, and then a change back again. And just looking, things are intensifying, intensifying, at least in my world and my perspective. And it's a battle. And it's here. And we want to see the victory of Jesus. He's greater. His power is greater. His blood cleanses from all the sin. And I'm wondering, Lord, Lord, please work. And as my wife pointed out how I was responding, she was right. I need more of the love of Christ dominating, filling, and overflowing from my life. Because it's the loving kindness of Jesus Christ that leads all of us to him. That's what what it is. And inside the reconciling of these battles, of this world that we live in, we're not a part of it. My citizenship is in heaven. I assure you, Joyce has none of these battles today. She is 
at the right hand of the Lord. I mean, at the fullness of joy in Psalm 16, being with Jesus. And what a great joy and what a great blessing to have that reward. She finished her work. She stayed the course. She was filled with joy. She was a prayer warrior. She believed it. She was his workmanship. She was an inspiration. She knew that she was a new creature in Christ Jesus. And so we are all encouraged. And then now we move to verse 4. In verse 4, as I was studying it, pondering it, meditating it on this week, this is where the Lord said, this is where I must go. I must go, but God, but God, but God. Because when I look at the situation, I may be thinking more in human terms or practical terms or just wondering, how might you work? How might you save? How might you redeem? And then I think of the church and the multitudes of believers that are so far from fellowship with the Lord, talking and realizing their life choices and decisions. They represent verses 1, 2, and 3. It's like you've been delivered from 1, 2, and 3. Go to verse 4 and down. That's where you want to live. That's where our testimony is at. Your present life with Christ. And so, but God, who is rich in mercy, but God, in bringing God into my life, bringing God into my walk, bringing God into my situation because of his great love with which he loved us. Again, as I said earlier in the opening statement regarding love, there's nothing you can do to cause God to love you more And there's nothing you can do to cause God to love you less because God is love. And in him, there's no darkness. He's love. He's absolute love. Which means I don't persuade him by my good works to have this relationship or eternal life because it's not by works because we would boast if it was. It's God. It's his great love. Look at verse 5. We read it earlier, but when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. As a college student, so greatly struggling, and I've shared this before, but living in the dorms and it was was on a little bit of a break and not a believer, not following God, struggling inside to live, you know, a, a different life. But the life I was partaking was a life of one, two, and three, a life of darkness, a life of drinking, a life of partying. And I woke up in the dorm room with my buddy, and the trash can was next to me for obvious reasons. I wasn't cleaning the room. I was sick from the night before. And I looked and said, how did we get home last night? And he says, you drove. I says, there's no way, because I didn't take my car. He says, that's right. You stole the car last night. Get out. No, you stole the car last night. Serious? And as he began to explain the story, he was right. Those early 70 models, you don't need a key. You just, you just turn, and it starts. And uh, we were kind of in a bad situation in a lot of ways and needed to get out. And I don't know what my thinking was, but that's what happened. And we opened up the dorm room, and there it was in the parking lot looking right at me. And he left, my friend, because I was the one that drove. So he's out, right? He's, and I'm looking at that and obviously still not clear-headed. And I don't know if I am today, but I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> but I'm looking at that car and I'm thinking, oh, no. How did I? This is not what I want to do. This is not what I want to be doing. What do I do? So brilliantly, I get back in the car 
I start it up and I drive it to the far end of the parking lot. Way out. It's a large school. Far into the parking lot. And I get out of the car. And then panic sets in. They're going to find your fingerprints. I mean, I don't even know what I'm thinking about. I just saw dragging up movies growing up and shows or whatever. It's like, you're going to jail. You're done. Your school's over. So I get this towel or I take my shirt off. I don't quite remember, but I just wipe this all down. And then people are jogging by and they're seeing me wipe down the car with my shirt. It's like, oh, no. No, I just clean and everything's good. And then I feel so bad because I ruined someone's life. The car wasn't damaged. Thank God for that. But obviously someone left a club that night and was just a blank parking space. (laughs) So I went to a phone booth. Remember, 70s, okay? And I called the police. And on the phone... I know they're recording it because you can tell when they're recording the call. And I says, I like to, uh, I like to communicate. And I said, I like to report that there's some kids really acting very mischievously around this parked car in the parking lot. Because I just want the police to find it. Because I felt so guilty. And I could tell the recording going on. And then I hung up. And then I'm looking around for police cars coming. And it's absolute paranoia. And it took, I would believe, more than a week I'd see that car. I made so many vows to God. This is the time, Lord. You get me out of here. I'm yours. Finally, the car found a home. Hopefully the right home, but uh, I'm assuming it was. But I just want to share that in that you see what happens. I am, verses 1, 2, and 3, filled with sin. I'm a sinner. I want change in my life. Is this it? The party life, the fun life, the friend life. Hey, hey, come home. Ho, ho, not good. What are you going to do? So sin, without Jesus Christ, I want to remove my own sin. So I literally move the car to the other end of the parking lot. And I distance myself from sin. As if none of you have ever done that. You just distance yourself from it, but you still see it. And then you wipe the prints off. In other words, you don't want your hands on that. You don't want to be associated with that sin. So you're working it. You're working the system. You're working other people over. And then I feel so bad I need to confess. So police officer, I'm trying to confess. There's no forgiveness in that. It's just more guilt. And then you want to make deals with God. You want to create a designer deity. Relate to me on my terms. Get me out of the situation. I'm yours. And the situation did go away. But I was not his. I was deeper into darkness because I was not his. Sin got worse. Those are just the cursory ones for Sunday morning. Not proud, not proud, but it's the truth. If in fact, when, when God is, in a sense, speaking, and if you don't want it, then you go darker and darker into this darkness, into this stronghold, into this place of verses 1, 2, and 3. And finally, by the presence of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of sin, my wife present, repenting to God, but God who's rich in mercy because of his great love. And I never related to him regarding his great love. I related to him on my great work and not his great love. That's how the relationship was, unfortunately. And I could never win. Of course not. Because it's me, not him. And it was totally broken, totally before the Lord, totally down on my face, totally calling out to God and saying, verse 5, My trespasses, my sin, 
They've overwhelmed me. And what happened was this grace came upon me. And I know that grace today. I even think back and I know that grace. But I know that grace this morning. And I knew that grace last night. And I've known that grace this week. It's the grace of God. It's what we need. And my wife rightly pointed out is that you need the grace and the love of God. You cannot, you cannot see God work based on your own power. You need the Lord. He needs to break your heart over the lost. You want to reach them, but there has to be a brokenness so that the power of God and the display of God and of the Holy Spirit comes out. Love, the power of Christ, the love of God coming from our lives, that's what it takes. Because again, if you look at verse 8, how does salvation take place? By grace. You've been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not of works, least anyone should boast. And for me personally, to come to a place where that saving grace and that love of God came, and my understanding of God then was biblically correct, it's him and not me. And I just said, I just want to be for you. J.J., we were talking about that uh, Toy Story movie and those little guys in that uh, machine. What that? Choose me, choose me, choose me. That clock comes down like that. And it's just like, Lord, just however I can be used by you. I just want to be used by you. And you see, once, once this comes into our heart and you're having... You know, as you're walking through life, you're wondering, how does this work? If you again look at your handout sheet, we did a study on Wednesday night, but on your handout sheet, if we can look at the blessings in Christ on your handout sheet, the scripture verses are there, but here's what happened. Here's what happened. Because of verses 8, 9, and 10, because I say I'm yours, what I discover is he actually chose me. In other words, we read Genesis 1.1. In Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and earth. Genesis 1.1. When it says he chose us in him, if you look at chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 4, he chose us in him before what? What's the Bible say? Before the foundations of the world. In other words, read Genesis 1.1 and think, wow, God created it? Well, he chose you before Genesis 1.1. That's our God. But God, but God, this is when he said, no, you're, you're mine. This is when my, my love's coming to you. My grace is coming to you. You're mine. Before the foundations of the world. This is God. This is the eternal God. We're going through life and you may feel insecure. We all do at times. Overwhelmed. And we have to think, wait a minute. Before Genesis 1-1, he wanted me. He chose me. It wasn't anything I could do to impress him. That's why it's in there. Because many times our carnal thinking will bring about a sense of, well, God, of course you wanted me. You knew how good I was going to be at such and such. Wrong. I chose you because I'm God. I love you. And then we see the relationship is secured because he, he adopts us. Many times in this world, as I was going through even this week and, and now, but coming back and realizing, wait a minute, I'm accepted in the beloved. That he's redeemed me through his blood. He's forgiven every sin according to his grace. He provides wisdom to live. He provides the information I need to know and to do his will. He puts us together into a family. He says that there's an eternal inheritance and there's 
the joy of, of some of that right now. He seals us with his Holy Spirit and he guarantees through the sealing of the Holy Spirit that we're his. And then we see at the next part of chapter one that we're going to pray because when we see all the things that we have, all these blessings that are there, we wonder, how does that work though? I mean, I, I read this, but it's like overwhelming. I mean, it's, it's rich, it's right, it's true. But how does that work in my life? And he says, well, I'll show you. You just pray. So you pray that there'd be the spirit of wisdom. You pray for the revelation of the knowledge of him. You pray that your eyes of understanding will be enlightened. You pray that God would show you the hope of his calling. You pray that you would know the riches of the glory of his inheritance. You pray that you would know the exceeding greatness of his power. You pray that you'd experience his resurrected power. You pray that you would experience his lordship and his leadership in your life, and we'd experience over the life of the church. Amen? He has it all together for us. Ephesians. It's about our our position in Christ and our purpose because we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. He's prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them.